you know, going after the big guys and making lagers and ales and pilsners was was not the route to take. So you had to find little niches and carve out stuff. Like when we, I hate to tell you this, but what saved Nickelbrook from going bankrupt many, many years ago was our gluten-free beer and our apple beer, and they're gone. And I would go to beer events. You're listening to Making It in Ontario, the official podcast of the Trillium Network for Advanced Manufacturing. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Making It in Ontario, the official podcast of the Trillium Network for Advanced Manufacturing. I'm your host, Nick Persichilli, and this is Ontario Craft Beer Week. So, in honor of Ontario Craft Beer Week, we thought we would speak with an aerospace engineer. Why an aerospace engineer, you ask? Well, because this aerospace engineer left aerospace and became a pioneer craft brewer and owner of one of Ontario's leading craft breweries. A common story, to be sure, because Ontario's craft brewing industry is filled with aerospace engineers, right? Who just start off in aerospace engineering and get bored of it and then decide to make beer. Common story, right? Well, anyway, today we chat with John Romano, president and co-founder of Nickelbrook Brewing Company, former aerospace engineer turned brewer. We chat with him about how he transitioned from landing gear and flap actuators to craft beer and funk brewing. Now, I say we, but fact is Brendan did most of the interviewing, and I'm glad he did. His passion for craft beer is palpable, and not just for the final product itself. Brendan loves the economics, the history, the science behind it, and I was happy to just kind of sit back and take notes. So, what did we learn from this? I was expecting to hear a lot of different varying stories over the course of recording this podcast from our manufacturers. And we have. If you go back and look at our episode list, you'll see a, a crazy list of stories about various subjects and, and challenges. But the thing that I wasn't expecting were the similarities in the challenges. In our most recent interview with, with Jay Myers and Jen CEO, we realized that Ontario has a bit of an identity crisis happening and it's got some soul searching to do. Specifically, to scale or not to scale? Is Ontario manufacturing best at producing things at scale or do we want to produce things that are bespoke and low volume and high quality and because apparently to do one really well you can't do the other one. And apparently the brewing industry has suffered the same problems. As John points out, you're not going to compete with the larger brewers on pilsners and lagers. So what do you got to do? You got to specialize which is what Nickelbrook has done, along with a litany of others. That is kind of the same problem facing everyone else. To scale or not to scale? That is the question. Whether it's nobler than the... Okay, I'm not going to redo Shakespeare for you, but that's the existential question. And it was faced by John as well. As a musician, I would liken it to hearing... It's like, it's like hearing the 12-bar blues on an acoustic guitar versus an electric guitar. Sure, the instruments are totally different, but the song is exactly the same. So, now we've talked to a brewer about his challenges. If you're a manufacturer, have a listen to his challenges and see if his solutions have any bearing on your world. Because if the challenges are similar, maybe the solutions are too. Anyway, here's John Romano from Nickelbrook Brewing, and here's how he's making it in Ontario. 
Here we go. Um, I'm going to continue. Hey, happy craft beer week, everyone. Happy summer. Uh, Brendan and Nick here with you again, and we are pleased to be joined by none other than John Romano, uh, the president and co-owner yes. of Nickelbrook Brewing. You got it. Um, one of Ontario's preeminent craft breweries. Lots of news coming out of Nickelbrook these days. Lots of stories to tell. Uh, thanks for joining us today, John. Thanks for having me. Cool. So, hey. Exciting times ahead. Everybody's getting tired of lockdown. It's time to start uh, getting out and drinking some beer. You got that right. You got that right. Uh, John, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, so, I'm uh, mid-50s at the age of 27. I was uh, in the aerospace industry. I worked for one company uh, pretty much my, my, my whole life. I studied engineering, was uh, making components for... 737s, 47s, triple sevens, landing gear, uh, flap actuators, clips and stuff, and was traveling. I've probably been in every airplane plant in, in this country, Pratt, Whitney, McDonnell Douglas, Hughes Aircraft, Boeing. And at the age of 27, I decided I didn't like my job anymore. I was a big foodie home brewer with my dad, and started making wine. And at the age of 27, I quit and opened up Better Bitters. Uh, within years, we became the largest home brewing store in Ontario, the second largest home brewing store in Canada. We employed about 20 people. We were doing about, um, you know, a thousand liters of beer a day out the door, doing it in a very manual, hard process. So we decided to build a brewery uh, in the midst of building to basically supply wort for ourselves. In the midst of building a brewery, who the heck thought beer would drop in? in price so you know beer was 20 sorry 36 to 38 dollars a case and all of a sudden 24 for 24 shows up lakeport did not only start beer wars in with the big guys it crushed the homebrewing industry because i hate to say people that made beer i'm talking 20 30 years ago they were cheap and they were just trying to get a product that was palatable and they could save money they instead of you know costing 36 bucks a case you could make a a case of beer at home for five to nine dollars. If you did it on premise, it was 15 to 20. And it was crazy. We were doing 20, 30 batches of beer a day. And then 24 for 24 came out and it crashed to a handful a day. We lost a good chunk of our business. Didn't know what to do. We were very popular and very well known and respected in Burlington. We knew all the bar owners and stuff in town in Burlington has some of the best draft consuming bars in the province of Ontario. Buddies with all these guys, golf party, uh, tailgates and tailgating parties and stuff. I thought this is a no brainer, opened up the brewery and didn't realize how difficult and how corrupt the beer business was. And we didn't know what we got ourselves into and we were too deep into it. We had made an investment and we just, we're throwing darts around like crazy and, and, you know, slowly, you know, we got some home runs and it got us to where we are today. And there's a lot of stories there in between. Right. But I was in the industry, I was in the manufacturing industry and um, oddly enough, um, I, I use my mechanical uh, side uh, all the time because uh, of all the moving parts and the, and the equipment needed to run a brewery. So it's crazy that I use my engineering constantly I've got all kinds of stories. Remember, we bought our, our first buying machine was my thumb on a plastic hose. Then I bought a one head, a four head. Then I bought a little Maheen, little six head would fit on the back of, you know, your pickup truck. 
And then finally you get to a point where, you know, you can make the best beer in the world. If you don't package it properly, you'll destroy it. And now your beer's in Windsor and Northern Ontario and it's shelf life isn't there. So you bite the bullet and you buy a proper bond machine. It's like $300,000. I, I would tell people I, I could have bought a Ferrari, but I bought a femur. It was made in Italy because the Italians and the Germans make the best, you know, equipment that, you know, Pioneer Village is our history. The Italians and the Germans have been packaging and making booze for hundreds of years, right? Um, so we bought this femur, and I'll never forget, um, $300,000, put the guys on it, they're all trained, and the cap would kept crimping. It wouldn't wouldn't seat properly, and, and we would damage, like one in four, one in five caps wouldn't seat properly. And I'd be watching it, watching it, watching it, tell the guy, slow down the machine, and like, okay, guys, shut her down. Take the capping head off took the capping head off, drove it over to a machine shop buddy of mine, drilled a couple of holes, put a couple of magnets in it, brought it back to the shop the next day, put it in. So now the, the cap would drop. And as the cap dropped, the magnet would straighten out the cap and then the plunger would come down and hit it. So, you know, it's hard to explain on a podcast, but my guys are looking at me going, we just spent $300,000 on this machine. You had to shut it down for a day and bring it to your, you know, a part, one to your buddy's shops to fix it. Like that's crazy, but it's so my mechanical brain, right? Was was watching the problem, and I solved the problem. And to this day, it's how it still operates. Your experience in aerospace does that give you a leg up uh, over your competitors, or do, or does that just help every day? Well, no, I think I think. Um, you know, when you look at you know corporation, so I think what working in the aerospace industry did. It gave me the people skills I have. So you look at Boeing. Okay, well, so what could I compare Boeing to? Maybe the LCBO, right? So it, it gives me, I think, a leg on, you know, how to build relationships. Like, Because building a relationship with, say, a bar owner is very different than building a relationship with an executive at the LCBO. So I think me flying around North America, talking to big wigs at these big corporations, you know, Pratt & Whitney and... Hughes Aircraft and Litton Systems and Manasco and, you know, Boeing, I think it gave me, you know, some people skills that, you know, I, I use day to day when I'm, you know, because, you know, I'll F-bomb a bar owner all day long, but I'm not going to have that same conversation with a director at the Liquor Board of Ontario, right? That <laughs> They're two totally different. I'll, you know, take my hat off and, you know, let my hair down and shoot the shit with a bar owner. I'm not going to shoot the shit the same way I would with an executive at the at Loblaws or at the LCBO, right? So I think, yeah, part, I learned a lot dealing with, you know, bigger industry or corporations. So, I, yeah, I think it did help in one degree. I never thought about it that way, but, yeah, I think it did help. John, do you remember the last time we saw each other? No. I've met a lot of people, and we've uh, – because I used to make it, bottle it, deliver it all in the same day, so. <laughs> it was about, it was February 2020. Oh, wow. And yeah, we were in, it was like, it was probably like 11, 11.30 in the morning. And uh, yeah, we came in, we had a chat, we were working on that that big craft beer project. Um, and then, then you and I took a bunch of pictures to send to our friend Julie Cole, because I think yeah. she might have been the one who introduced us the first time. But that was February 2020, man. How's your year gone? It's, uh, it's been interesting. Like for the beginning of COVID, it was like, it was bizarre. The first few days I was making decisions in the morning and changing them by the afternoon. And honest to God, the, the first week of COVID, 
I got Jeff Carefoot Amsterdam calling me and Pete from Flying Monkey calling me and Brent from Wellington calling me and we're all trying to bounce stuff off each other. Like I, I think uh, COVID hit, I think it was a Tuesday. And by Thursday night, I was exhausted making decisions and talking to people. So at the beginning to get a test done and to get the results was very, very painful and quite a process. So we ended up shutting the brewery down for a couple of days, had it cleaned up. It was crazy. Like you didn't know what to do. And, and I'm on pins and needles because I, I, I'm being trying to be careful. I, I have a mother-in-law in long-term care. I have two parents that are very elderly living on their own in their own home. And I, I'm their caregiver pretty much. And then I got a business that I'm operating that's supposed to be essential service. And, you know, you're, you've got, that your your staff at risk and then your parents at risk and and then your staff are putting pressure on you to do this and do that and then you find out that you know just because you're 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 playing safe at, at work you as an employee and as an employer yeah i can put everything in place to allow you to work safely and everything but now when you leave the building it's your responsibility to make sure that as a human being, a person, an employee of a company that you work with other people that you go home and you're doing the right stuff and, and, and you're practicing safe conduct as well, because if you're not, you're going to bring it to work and it's going to cause a disaster. Right? So it was very stressful at the beginning and you're being paranoid, right? Like you're touching handles and going into the bathroom and wiping down like the amount of alcohol and wipes we were going through at the beginning was, was ridiculous. And then you couldn't get wipes. We, we, we my brother found a, a guy, a warehouse at a freaking Bolton or something. He had a whack of wipes and we bought cases and cases of wipes at inflated prices. Like it was crazy what was going on at the beginning. And, and then as kind of things, um, you know, we get into June, July, I mean, even in July, you could, uh, in July, well, things opened up July after yeah, Canada yeah. day, things started opening up. Right. Yeah. And then, I mean, so and then after that, um, I mean, you're, you're definitely still there. Well, you got to remember too, everybody lost their, their draft business. So it was hard. Okay. But we were all doing crazy stuff and you know, for to lose 25% of your business. And then you've got hundreds and thousands of dollars in receivables with these guys and it's hard, like you, you, you can feel for them and you sympathize for them, but at the same day, you got to pay your bills and you need your money. So it's tough, like the verdict's not out for a lot of people. I've got a lot of money owing to me on the books and, and there's people that I, you know, I may never get it from, but at the same time, they're good people. They work hard, like restaurateurs and independents. These people work hard for a living and, and for their money. And now they owe all this money in, in alcohol and they, you know, they're allowed to open, then they get shut down. They're allowed to open, then they get shut down again. You know, it, it, it's it's hard. So you keep supplying them, even though they owe you money, and you hope that one day you'll you'll collect from them. And then in the middle of that, like, who would have thunk you'd have a problem getting cardboard? And now all of a sudden, yeah. you call your cardboard supplier, and I go, buddy, I've been buying corrugated and, and beer board from you for, you know, 20 years, 30 years, going back to Better Bitters days, and now you can't supply me? It's like, John. Like everything's going in a box, all, all this online shopping, it's in a box and it goes in another box. And sometimes it goes in another box if, if it's a fragile, you know, product. And then, I, you know, my wife starts buying stuff online. And then you start seeing it's like, holy shit, our corrugated uh, recycling bins never been so full. And all of a sudden they're, they're creating a shortage and a demand. So 
you're putting out these beers at Christmas that need to go in a box and you can't get the board. And, and then Texas has that freeze and all of a sudden you find out all the paints and resins and chemicals and refineries are in Texas and, and, and you, you can't get stained to make your chalkboards that you A-frames and, and, and you, your, your, your pipe breaks and the pipes out of stock because the resins made out of it comes from Texas. And it's like, this is crazy, man. Like we're already in a pandemic. There's enough problems going on and I can't get corrugated. I, I can't get resin. And then cans, everybody's put everything in a can. You can't get cans. So it's been strip out COVID, especially as a brewery. There has been a lot, a lot of other problems and stuff that we've had to deal with. And then you have staff, right, that, you know, they're concerned about their health and stuff. And you're constantly, you know, I don't want to say the word babying, but, you know, you're on pins and needles, you know, trying to keep these guys motivated and keep production going and stuff. Because people like LCBO and the grocery stores, an empty shelf uh, is not a good thing. That's real estate to these guys, right? And it's important to keep these shelves filled. So there's been, it's been a very, very interesting, stressful year and a bit, let me tell you. It's been very uh, hard on some people. And so amidst all that, you have some big news. You've made a big decision. Yeah, well, we when we built the Brewerywood Collective, um, you know, we, you know, we we thought that was going to be it long term, and 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 they're a very strong, great brewery, and and their their visions are you know to become that that big craft brewery, and we've always been. You know, I, I'm building a, like a, a family legacy, right? I Someday I'm hoping that my you know, brewery's named after my kids. My son started working at Nickelbrook making beer when he was seven. God bless him. Uh, you know, I wanted to become a brewmaster, but he was terrible at chemistry and biology. He was always great in math. So he's got his degree in finance and accounting, and he's working in industry right now for about three years. I'm hoping he'll come back in a couple of years. And and I'm hoping he can be, you know, that guy. He he knows in the business top to bottom. And I'm building a family legacy. And maybe I've got a couple of staff that maybe we would let in. You know, they're good people. And you need good people around you to, to grow. Like the day of making it ball and it delivered it all in the same day are over. And you need people, let's face it, success. You build success. You need people, the right people around you and good people around you. And, and to keep them, you might have to give them a piece of the pie. So I envision that. And, you know, we were looking, I hate to say it, I didn't want to spend, you could spend 15, 20, you know, million dollars. And there's a couple of breweries, you know, in Ontario that have done that and spent more. And, and it's a tough racket. The margins are, are tight and return on investment is, is hard. So I hate to say, it, but we were waiting for something like this to happen. And, you know, we were poised and positioned and ready to do it. And it took this long. I thought the bottom was going to fall out long time ago and it, it took this long and i think there's been a lot of little closures but anybody that's you know got a substantial brand is pretty strong because retail is strong and we yeah we purchased uh, you know the big rock facility in etobicoke they came to ontario four or five years ago guns loaded built a beautiful brewery in etobicoke built a beautiful tap room in liberty village and the brand just didn't do the numbers it needed to do to sustain and keep that facility operational. And we became friends with the new president and we looked at maybe working together where we'd rep them in Ontario and they would rep us in the West and back and forth. And 
And then, he, you know, Wayne, the president called me back at the end of last year and he said, John, this is not, you know, this is going to take a while to us to put maybe something together. They're a publicly traded company. They've got enough of their own problems out West. Why don't you buy the brewery off us? And I said, Wayne, you got to give me a deal. Like I, 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 I don't need to put myself at risk. I'm, I've stolen from Peter to pay Paul for a lot of years. We're in, I'm in a happy place right now. The brand's doing well. The company is, is strong. Uh, I got good people around me and, and, you know, I'll gladly, you know, you know, take that brewery over, but um, it, um, it, it's got to be the, the right deal for us. And we finally came to a number, which was, I thought, you know, great for us. And it was enough for them to, not, I guess, upset their shareholders and stuff. And we put a deal together and our guys are there right now, uh, brewing. They did their first brew yesterday. Congratulations. Um, and you know, good work. Yeah. But come along. So we're excited. We're going to, we're going to be, uh, like in the breweries, pristine, like they, they cut no corners. Uh, it's, uh, you walk in, it's in a funny industrial area, commercial industrial area, and, and you don't expect much. And then you walk in and you go, Holy shit, Batman. Like, you know, it's a, the brew house's showpiece. It was a NSI. It, it was on on display at NSI's plant. You walked in. It was their display model for you know for a while, and they walked in and said, "We want that baby," and and they paid for it and they got it. So my guys are in heaven, which is which is great. Puts us in Toronto, which is you know always been a great market for us. Burlington's our home. We'll we'll, we'll never leave. I love Burlington. It's been good to me. I've been out here since '90 and. I have a lot of friends and relationships. Uh, I've been asked to run for mayor, for God's sakes, right? So, um, not that I'd want that position. I don't think uh, they get beat up enough. But you know, we, we're we're going to have a tap room and our R and D and a warehouse. Uh, you know, will be in in Burlington. So we're moving that uh, next year. I was actually at the building yesterday with engineers working on some stuff. So. The plant, a lot going on. So in a year from now, uh, we'll be a new location in Burlington on Mainway. And uh, by the end of June, we'll be uh, pumping beer out of uh, Etobicoke. Right on. So I want to go back to, uh, um, I don't want, uh, the, you had the relationship with Collective. They were arts, you were science. You're yeah. the science. Tell us about that. What 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 is what what is the science you're 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 dropping on everyone? What's the science you're bringing here? So what what actually happened? We were in the middle of re, when we we were rebranding. Like you know, you look at Nickelbrook and uh, you know, Collective helped us rebrand. They're they're great marketers and and we sat down with three marketing companies and and they would talk to myself and they talked to my brother and partner Peter and they would talk to Ryan or Brewer at the time and some of our staff and. They just, the, the way we approached making beer, like it wasn't like, hey man, let's make a beer. It was like, okay, hey man, let's let's make a beer. And, you know, and you know, the ingredients and the hops and, you know, the way we we hop stuff and dry hop stuff and and just, you know, did stuff. Everybody that talked to us said, you, you guys are, everything is like, it's almost like a science project with you guys. You, you look at your ingredients so carefully and, and methodically and, and, you know, the process and, and like everybody would talk to us, like, I've never, like you, the passion's oozing out of you. Right. And uh, we, we came out with, you know, beer down to a science and uh, it, it went okay. Some people got it. Some people didn't. People don't realize that a, a good brewmaster has a degree in chemistry and biology. 
it, it, it's it's a, a lot of chemistry going on to to making beer. So then just recently, you know, we we did another little facelift and we turned it to uh, you know beer. Uh, not our first slogan was miracle of science, and then our second slogan was down. We changed it to uh, beer down to a science, and I think people related to that a little better. But and then you know, and I think it was because we're also always innovative. Like you look at the industry. I'm going to toot my own horn here, but you know, Nickel Brook launched one of Ontario's first gluten-free beers. We launched one of Ontario's first fruited beers. We launched Ontario's first barrel-aged beers. We launched one of Ontario's first sour barrel-aged beers. And then we launched Ontario's first sour beers. And when I say launched, I'm not talking about out of our tap room. We launched these products in retail. We, we, we took the risk, we bit the bullet, and we, we brought them to retail. We brought them to the liquor board. And the liquor board was always fond of us because I quickly found out it was tough to make money in the beer business. I love what I do, and I'm a, you know, was a big home brewer, and and you know, I, I love to cook and drink good beer and wine and and stuff. And at the same time, you got to make a living, and 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 it's nice to you know have some money in the bank. And you know, going after the big guys and making lagers and ales and pilsners was 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 not the route to take. So. You had to find little niches and carve out stuff. Like, uh, like when we, I hate to tell you this, but our, our, what saved Nickelbrook from going bankrupt many, many years ago was our gluten-free beer and our apple beer, and they're gone. And I would go to beer events, and I'm not going to name any names here, but you know some of the original guys, and we all know who they are. Um, I would be at an event, and they would mock me for making those beers, like. I, I, it was crazy. And it's like, guys, I just bought a canning line. Do you guys have a canning line? You know, like they were paying the bills that they were, you know, I was, I had some money in the account every month. I wasn't using my own personal credit card. I wasn't calling the bank to put another line of credit on my house. Cause that's how Pete and I fueled the brewery. We were fortunate. We had enough equity in our homes and we kept putting lines on our home and, and, you know, we, 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 we did it. And, and then we started making, you know, IPAs and stuff and, I remember when we launched Headstock and it won a gold at the American Brewing Awards and we, I forgot what festival we were at and we brought it there and we had the medal there and, and these same people were, were going up to the can and the can, I don't know if you remember first Headstock can, it was very busy. It was kind of, the idea was Woodstock, Headstock. We were doing a lot of festivals. So it was a very music, like we were doing all the festivals in our region and we were loving it, right? So that was the kind of shtick there. And people were picking up the can and going, this one a gold? Who is it? And it's like, they go to say, oh my God, this is Nickelbrook. No way, man. Like, you know, because we, we, we were known for green apple pilsner and gluten-free beer, right? And all of a sudden we got a headstock that's, you know, was one of the, you know, once it started getting some momentum, it was one of the top performing IPAs in the province of Ontario for a lot, a lot of years, right? So, so, so Nick is going to, if I don't ask about this, Nick is, uh, Nick will never let, let me live it down and headstock and you're wearing a headstock shirt now. And you got a nice, what looks like kind of a Gibson, uh, guitar head, you got metal head. And I like that, but I can all, maybe I can take two of those, man. But I, <laughs> I like John, I like heavy metal. I like sour beer. I, I, uh, how, um, tell us a little bit, is there something behind, this marketing and the guitars and the metalhead and all that, or is this just kind of coming out of somewhere else? Cause I love it. 
Well, no, I've always been like I'm a big beat. I've always like I drive around my my stereos crank. My wife gets a kick out of me. Shops in my truck and like I, I start the truck up and and the the radios cranked. I grew up. A good friend of mine was in radio. You know, he was it got into DJ. You know, Q107, Y108, 97.7. I'd go backstage and you know I partied with uh, you know I I I, I partied with. Uh, Matt Dillon, I uh, partied with uh, 5440, Gord Downey, like Tragically Hip. I've met Gord a couple of times. I remember, so I've always been, you know, what, what, what are my passions and hobby? I love listening to music. I love eating good food and I love drinking good beer and good wine. And, and you just kind of, you, you bring it to, to work, right? And that's how you, how, how you kind of fly, right? So I've always been, um, I love going to concerts. Uh, I love listening to rock and roll. I, you know, I, I, um, when I was a kid, I was a big Led Zeppelin fan, and my my car used to be called a Zeppmobile, right? And as you get older, you you try to you you try to find bands that you know connect with you and their words and their songs, and then you you take that home into how you live and breathe and and walk and and you know there, there's bands that you know you, you love their the songs that they're playing and the music and the words and you know and the hip was one of them, so. I've, I've always been a big fan of music. I've always got it around. I'm outside in my garden. I have a freaking you know stereo going at the off you know off the property. So it's just good for it's, the tomatoes. It's good for yeah. the tomatoes to listen to rock and roll. So, um, so tell um, I, you know I mentioned I I can't get enough of sour beers, especially this weekend on the beach. A couple duplicitous. <laughs> right, maybe a couple of your competitors' sours too. There's new Camerons I want to try. Um, for the uninitiated, what's the kindergarten version of the difference between sour beers or or kind of the Funk Lab and and the lagers and the Pilsners and the clean brewing? So sours aren't for everyone. You know, you, you're introducing lacto, uh, and with with that comes acidity, and then with some of them you add fruit, so even more acidity. So you find that you know and there's no hops in sour beers generally, unless it's an IPA or something. So, you know, there's kettle sours and we do a true sour where we, we have a tank that we do nothing but culture of sours, like making sourdough bread. You're keeping that yeast alive. So we make true sours where we have one tank that we culture the bacteria with lacto and we're growing it and culture. And every four days we can make a batch of, of sour beer, but it's like that kombucha, it's sourdough bread. Not everybody likes kombucha, not everybody likes sourdough bread. But if you, you, you do like that flavor and that acidity and that edge, you fall in love with them. Like me, I'll have one or two. And then, you know, at the end of the day, I'm an IPA guy. So I'll start with a, a couple of sour beers. Like we launched a Pink Lemonade, Zap Pink Lemonade a couple of weeks ago. It's going, it went live this week at the LCBO, but we got at the brewery a couple of weeks ago. And I took it home. It's got pink guava. It's got lemon. I love both those fruits and I had a couple of them and loved it. But then I can't, I'm not drinking that beer all day long. So anybody that's not a big beer drinker, sours are great. You look at our raspberry beer. It's more of a raspberry cider or a raspberry wine than it is a beer. The base alcohol is made from grains, but the flavors that are coming through is the acidity from the lacto. It's the fruit. We put 1,200 pounds of raspberries and 2,000 liters of beer. That flavor and that color in our raspberry beer is not coming from anything but raspberries, right? In season, they're fresh. Off season, 
we buy frozen and the frozen we find are actually even better because because they were frozen when they thaw we put them into the tank everything just breaks down when you put fresh berries you gotta you gotta work that berry when the product's frozen it just breaks down in the tank and everything just kind of oozes out of the the fruit so it's been uh, it's been uh, amazing uh, so it's, i think anybody that's not a big beer drinker needs to give sours uh, a chance they're they're very refreshing um they're they're not hoppy and bitter like other beers because let's face it a lot of People that don't like beer, it's because they don't like the bitterness and stuff. And and the sours are totally not the way. If you're a wine drinker, cider drinker, kombucha drinker, you're probably going to like a sour beer. So um, big question, general question. And you're probably one of the best people, best equipped people in this province to answer this. Um, since the late 1990s, early 2000s, mid 2000s, late 2000s, the craft brewing industry in Ontario has come a long way. Crazy. Um, from, from, you know, and, and, and we, can, we can, we've, we've got the stats. We did, we did the stats and it went from, you know, 60 odd breweries going in and out of business every year to over 300, most of which are stable. Um, it went from the craft segment went from employing about 15% of all brewery employees in the province to over 80%. So right now, Molson plus Labatt's plus Sleeman, which is owned by Sapporo, which is owned yeah. by Mitsui, yeah. which is a Toyota Kairetsu company, they employ less than 20% of all brewery employees in the province. That's a huge change in a decade. Crazy. The, the brewing industry is the fastest growing, or at least between 2010 and 2019, was the fastest growing segment of manufacturing in terms of the number of employees by far. Number two, wineries. Um, and it's just, I, I mean, I guess actually number one would be cannabis because it went from oh, yeah. technically, technically zero to a lot. But anyway, <laughs> the industry has come a long way. Let's just say, you know, since since the recession of 2008, 2009, and then it seemed like this thing just blew up. Your uh, on Take this any way you want. Um, your thoughts is, um, is this a good thing? Is this a sustainable thing? Um, what have we learned? What do we still need to learn? What's next? So that that's a that's a very big question, and I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna answer it in several ways. Okay, cool. cool. Um, because it, it's all in proportion. It's all in what you want in in life in, in as a goal. Um, so when I did this, I was a home brew store. I my home brew store was dying. I started a brewery. I did not know what I signed myself up to. I did not wake up and say. I'm going to open up a brewery and I'm going to be top 10 in craft in the province of Ontario. You just work hard, make good beer, treat people well, treat your staff decently. And, and, and it happened. You know, we opened up at the wrong time and we we're in it at the right time. So actually I was talking to a consultant the other day, there are 500 registered manufacturing wort licenses in the province of Ontario. So I don't know how many of them are operational. Last time I Look, there was like 350 or more, but this guy's telling me it's closer to five. I think, you know, maybe 50 to 100 of them could be licenses that are, are not doing anything. So I'm going to say it all depends what you want. It's like a restaurant. You want to open up a chain and franchise, you better have deep pockets, a lot of money and, and 
you know, a, a lot of stressful days. But, you know, if, if you're passionate, I have this conversation with, with kids. It's, it's relaxed a bit now, but honest to God, there wasn't a week that, you know, because we're so close to Niagara College and we, you know, have a bunch of staff from there, I would constantly get, you know, kids from Niagara College coming to see me or kids that were thinking about going to Niagara College to see me and stuff. And, you know, they all have these visions of open up a brewery. So if you want to open up, uh, you know, uh, you know, a little bottle shop, you know, get a little 510 hex system and make some beer and have some good burgers and fries and stuff. And you love making beer and you're, you know, you're passionate about it. You know, you, you can make a living. It will be a great living. It'll be okay. You're, you're, you're probably going to replace the wages you were making. You'll be self-employed and you're going to do something you love to do. And you're going to hang around your, your, your tap room and, and bottle shop and you're going to be a rock star. So if that's what you want in life, great, right? But if you tried to become, like you look at the top, the top 10, top 20 craft breweries in the province, right? That is now an animal to, to get to. Like it, it's, it's, it's a long journey. It needs deep pockets and it, it needs someone that, that has, uh, you know, experience in, in the alcohol beverage industry, you know, is, is not prepared to make money for, you know, a, a long, long period of time. And, and um, they, you know, better have a, a nice roll of cash uh, tucked away because it's going to be a while before you start to see a profit. So you, you, it all depends. Like you want to open up a little Thai tap room brew pub, which a lot of the three, you know, let's face it, you know, 20 breweries make most of the beer in Ontario, right? It's like in the States, right? There's 7,000 breweries in the United States. Most of them produce under 2,000 hectoliters of beer a year, which is not a lot of beer, right? So if you, when you look at it and what happens with, you know, these smaller bottle shops and tap rooms and stuff, they're going to employ two, three, four, five people. And they're not going to make a lot of beer because it's very manual. You're making, you know, 500, 1,000 liters of beer at a time. You're canning almost by hand. You're labeling by hand. It's the, it's the labor of love and they're creating jobs. And there's a lot of people that love that stuff. It's like a bakery, right? People that love to bake, you know, it's, it's, it's the labor of love. You look what a baker does. He's in at the crack of dawn. He's making bread or biscuits or whatever. And he's open, you know, till certain hours of the day. So if you wake up and you want to become, you know, a big brewery, it's going to take a, a long, long time and, and you're on a roller coaster ride and, and you, you need to have many plans and backup plans before you get to that end, you know, goal. Like we were fortunate. We had a U-Brew that was, you know, employing us and, and creating our, our income. So for years and years, my brother and I, Peter, never took a dime from Nickelbrook. We were paying for our wages through our better bidders. We were working there part-time and then working full-time at Nickelbrook, if even more longer. And we managed to pay our wages through the U-Brew for a period of time. And then finally, when Nickelbrook started to show a profit, which was, you know, it was, I think, five years in before Pete drew, and I was working at the U-Brew more. So I was eight years in before I drew. And, you know, we got here. But if we didn't have that, it would have been hard to say. So I just tell people, you know, that are getting in the industry, and, and I've got a couple of them that I'm mentoring. They call me and they've met me. And they're, they're, they're struggling. Like there's a few guys I've uh, been in contact with and, and built a friendship over COVID. You know, they look, they call us, I'm a pioneer. I'm in my fifties and I'm a pioneer in the craft industry, which is crazy. But you got these guys in their twenties and thirties that have, you know, opened up one of these places and, and it, it's been a struggle and COVID hits in the middle of it and they're, they're struggling. So it's not as rosy 
as it looks out there. And it's very much like the, you know, it's food and beverage, it's very much like a restaurant. It's labor of love, it's hard work, and you're in every day and, and you're grinding it. And, and yeah, you can make a living and, and, and love what you do, but it's, it can be a tough way to make money some days. Like it's not a, it's not an easy, it's a sexy industry outside looking in once you're in it, every, you know, day to day, it's, it's a lot of hard work and it's 24 seven, like a breeze, a living cell, your, your, your tanks need to be looked after pressures need to be checked sanitization. Like you can't, you know, shut down a brewery for a couple of weeks and everybody goes on holidays because everything in it's alive, right? A tank full of beer is alive, especially sour beers, even worse. So one of the things, and, and, and it would have been a year and a half ago that, you know, we started getting really interested in this industry, largely because of the, the, the growth we've discussed. And then when I was getting out and talking to people, I was very surprised at what appears to be one of the most controversial things in the craft brewing industry. And that's contract brewing and virtual breweries and co-packing. And, and I was surprised because everywhere else in manufacturing, co-packing is a very, very normal thing. Having somebody else make your product is absolutely, completely ubiquitous in almost every other industry. And I mean, if you think about it, there's no French's mustard factory. It's made at select foods in East York. Um, there is, and it's, a, there are Volkswagen models that are made uh, in Windsor historically by Stellantis, right? Volkswagen doesn't actually make a minivan. They just get in the past, they got Chrysler's to make the minivan. But then I would get, and, and just some of the, the vitriol that would be directed at, at, um, at virtual brewers or at contract brewers was, or at least the narrative of vitriol was out there. But at the same time, you know, then, then, you know, I'm sleuthing around, I'm doing my nerdy research stuff and I'm finding like, Hey, but this beer is made at this brewery and this brewery says they don't like contract, but everyone's, it seems, it seems like everyone's got an opinion on it and everyone's doing it. And no one's, some people are admitting to it. Some people aren't. What is up with contract brewing? What is your opinion on the matter? So the, first of all, to, to build a brewery, like once you get this, like even us, we, we do some contract brewing because we can't make all our own beer. You get to a certain point and like, you got to weigh out the cost. So I, I, I think someone always, I think in craft brewing, you should have some bricks and mortars. I believe even if it's a small element where you're doing your, your R and D and stuff like people, you know, I think to grow the brand a certain way and to get to a certain level, you know, you, you got to create that experience. You know, you come to our tap room, you're, you're going to, you're going to feel with, with the nickel brook and hopefully you're going to get some love and, and, and you're going to walk out that door going, wow, what a cool brewery, what a cool vibe. And, you know, some cool people too, you know, good beer, good people, cool vibe. And I think by having a, a tap room and a brewery, you, you make that bigger connection. And there'll be people that'll never build a brewery. They're, they're basically marketing companies. And that's been going on for a long time. You look at, you know, Sleeman's, like, you know, God bless John Sleeman's. He built that great brand and, you know, he ended up selling it to Sapporo because people didn't realize when you bought Sapporo anywhere in North America, it came out of Guelph. When you bought Past Blue Ribbon anywhere in Canada, it came out of Guelph. When you bought Old Milwaukee anywhere in Canada, it came out of Guelph. That's been going on forever. Carlsberg was being made 
at the Labatt's plant in Toronto when they lost that contract. That's one of the reasons why they shut down the plant on the 401 there. Contract brewing's been around a long time. Just like you said, you know, where you, some like appliances, there's maybe one or two appliance manufacturers yeah. in all yeah. of North America. You just put a label on it. But when, when you, you know, have bricks and mortar, I think it, it legitimizes the brand. It allows the, you to connect with the consumer. People love going to the place where, you know, they got their, you know, get their coffee and it was roasted. People love going to the farm and getting those fresh apples and going home and making apple pie. It's creating that experience, right? You, you want a coffee? Yeah, you go to a big chain. You, you, you want to create an experience? You go to a little roaster that has a, you know, a coffee shop attached to it, right? So it, it all depends what brand you're trying to build. If you're just, you know, trying to create a business and you want little risk and you don't care about that consumer experience, then yeah, fine. Contract brewing is great. But if you really want to do this properly and, and, and build a, a proper brand and, and, and give people, you know, that feeling like our, our goal is, you know, we'll have our production facility in Etobicoke. We'll, We'll have a, a, a place in Burlington you can create a brand experience and there'll probably be another one or two places that will open up little pubs to, to create that, that brand connection and that brand experience. So it's just, it's the culture you want to build your brand with. Uh, so I think if you want to really build a true craft brewery, you really should have a brewery and you really need to make that connection with the consumer and 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 give them that experience say who doesn't love going to a place that you know made what you love and and walk out with some fresh product right so you have 300 competitors plus in this province but some of them are also your friends and when you when that Etobicoke facility is up and running, um, am I correct that you will be within, um, uh, you know, a five minute drive of some of your buddies over at some of our friends over at GLB, over yeah. at Cool, over at the, uh, you know, Steam Whistle 2, over at Black Oaks, the little one up at, on Advance Road at Mascot. Um, tell us about the networks, the relationships. Um, so one of the first people I called when we signed the deal, um, when the, one of the first people I called was, was Peter at Great Lakes. Yeah. Yeah. Great guy. He, he, he was a great guy. Uh, and he was fine. Um, I don't know how is, I think he's okay with it. I think, you know, there, there's enough, we've all been around long enough. Uh, um, we, we've all got our business, you know, yeah, we may take a little bit from each other, but I think having two, three breweries close to each other actually brings energy. I'll never mm -hmm. forget when, when, um, uh, uh, Fairweather and Green and Grit opened up in Hamilton. They were <laughs> yeah, that. at the same time. Yeah. They didn't know they were up the road from each other. Yeah. And I went into, you know, I was I was on the road then and I was calling on Hamilton. So I popped in on both of them and they were very happy that they were near each other because what was happening was, especially on Fridays, Saturdays and Sundays, people go on these little journeys. And yeah. if, if they've got one brewery to go to, it's kind of, I don't know, but if, they got two or three that they can visit and make it an afternoon. They go. So yeah. if you've got two, three great little breweries near each other, it now becomes a, a, a day trip. It, it, it creates competition where, yeah, yeah, it may not buy a, a case of beer now. I'd say, you know, X brewery, but you're going to buy a six pack, but they're still going to go in for that experience. You're going to buy a t-shirt, a six pack, and then go to the next one. 
and and then hopefully they're fans of uh, these breweries when they move on. So there's there's positivity that comes by having a couple of, I think, by having a couple of good breweries, um, you know, in in the same area. Like different energy comes from it. Yeah, that's walking distance to my house. Perfect. Fair weather's and grain and grit. And I take and I took the dog for a walk yesterday, and they both got like the little, um, you know, out on the the little just window on the street set up. Yeah. And and yeah, it, it, and they're I I, I mean, in my opinion the Fairweather makes some of the best product out there now. I just wish they would make it again and again. Because they come, they come up with something. I go, that's the best ever. When are you making it again? Like, I don't, I don't, we don't, I don't know. I don't know when. when. So anyway, um, you, 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 you had, um, I want to pick up off a word. You said case, case of beer. Um, and I get into, I've got into it a couple times, very, uh, very friendly and, and respectful way, of course, but I, with a couple, um, and particularly one, uh, you know, other industry that who just swears up and down, you know, craft beer drinkers want to drink uh, three beers and, uh, you know, they'll pay four seventy five a pint because they just want three beers and then, and then they're done. And, and I, I don't know, I don't know. There is a, um, there is a segment or are you seeing a segment who says, you know what, I I'm going to the cottage and I need a case of beer. And I, I don't know if I want to take a case of Labatt's blue with me. Um, I'd like to take a case of the beer that I like with me. And I, um, wh what do you think John right now at the beer store for, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm going to go slightly. I got above. a lot to say here now. Okay. Okay. So a case, uh, a 24 pints, of keys at the beer store right now is $62. Um, I am, and right now, as we speak, my partner is who works about mm, 50 meters, 100 meters away from your brewery, uh, is picking up a case of no bad days that we are going to enjoy with our friends at the cottage. And that uh, this weekend, and that case of no bad days is $4 less than that case of Alexander Keith's at the beer store. So is the consumer changing? Are you changing pricing to match the consumer's need? Are you changing product? What is happening here? This is so at the beginning it. of craft, you know, when we got into it, the direction, that's why things went into cans. Everybody was going to the liquor store and they were buying one of this and one of that and one of this and one of that. And it's still happening. And I think it took COVID Believe it or not, we, we were finding that our grocery sales have been great because people, you know, the less stops. Hey, man, I'm at the liquor. I'm at the grocery store. A couple of the grocers have done a great job picking their beers. Like I it was funny. I called Loblaws when they planogrammed their first stores and I didn't think they did the greatest job because they picked a guy out of Montreal to pick Ontario breweries. They decided that, you know, a third or more of the the. Um, of the planogram would be Ontario craft and they had not the greatest IPAs and have any stouts. So I called them and I said, Pierre, buddy, like, I'm not, I don't, I'm not telling you how to do your job, but you know, I think you could have, you know, a little bit, it was in a very positive way. I, I told them what I thought and you could got a little bit defensive within days. I got an NDA within days. I got a call after that. I got a call from head office and in, in um, Brampton, Mississauga from Loblaws and said, Hey, would you want to be on a planogram team? So me and another couple of breweries and a cidery joined uh, Loblaws. We took our hat off for this happened for about three years and we'd go in and planogram and we saw huge growth. Like even to this day, our biggest growth 
has been in grocery because people are going to get their broccoli, their steak, and they're seeing that guys that buy, I hate to say, a discount beer, they're walking into grocery, buying a six pack and walking out. People that buy a couple of cans of headstock and and whatever other beer, they're buying steak, broccoli, and a baguette, and they're going home. Um, so grocery has shown that the basket size and craft beer is great when people buy craft beer, so they love it. So for like everybody's buying mixed packs and eight packs and six packs. And then COVID hit, and it's like, oh my God, I, I'm scared to go liquor store. Look at the lineups. So beer store, grocery's been great. Lots of growth. LCBO has been great. Lots of growth. COVID hits. Liquor stores are closed on Monday. There's lineups to get in. They got reduced hours. Grocery stores have Christmas sales going all the time. The beer store has been kind of flat. And all of a sudden, COVID hits. It's like, you know what? I love headstock. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go grab my case of headstock at TBS. And then when I go do the groceries, I'm going to buy a couple of cans uh, of uh, bone shaker or, or, or whatever, right? And, and that's what's happened. So we've seen all of a sudden an 18% increase in case sales at TBS. And it's like out of nowhere. And it took COVID to do this. So what's happening, I think, in craft is that you just said you, you price is there. We're making decent beer at a good price. And people are buying a case of their favorites but they're still going to grocery. They're still going to the LCBO and they're trying new stuff. Right. And then if they fall in love with, you know, a certain beer, they're probably going to buy a case of that next time. So the day that I only drink keys, like, Hey, I'm, I'm in my fifties. I got buddies that love my stuff. And I got buddies that have drank the same beer since they were actually underage. We did a lot of that growing up in the country. Um, and you know, they're just setting their ways. Right. And then I, you know, in general, the millennials, especially people 25 to 45, they've got maybe a couple of breweries that they're, you know, they're fans of and their favorites, but they love trying different stuff. I do that with wine. I have my California favorites. I have my Italian favorites. And then I walk in and, uh, when I'm shopping for wine, I'll, I'll grab a bottle of uh, California favorite. Italian favorite. And then I just browse around, read some tags to see what's on special and, 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 and grab a few other bottles and, and, and go home. But I, I've got my go-to, right? And I think the same is happening in beer. But I remember growing up, my dad, you know, God bless him. He's 90 now. I saw him drink maybe two, three beers in the course of, you know, 30 years, right? It was OV. And then there was, and then maybe it was like a, yeah, OV and 50. And then, you know, on a real special occasion, there was export. Yeah. Real special occasion. Stock, you know, there was, you know, that, that was what was, it was being consumed. Right. And then our generation, it was probably, you know, Canadian was, was the big one. Keese was another big one. And now, you know, craft comes in and we're opening people's taste buds to all these cool things. So yeah, the consumer has changed. Um, they were not buying cases. Our case sales were not very good for a long time. We started giving better pricing on casing to drive that. So we, we've been seeing an increase in case purchases, you know, for a little while now. And then COVID hit and we've seen a big jump in case sales because people are don't, they less contact, right? They don't want to be going out all the time and 
and buying a few cans of this and a few cans of that. They're buying cases and it's either, you know, online or door drop or at TBS because they've got that. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens to TBS, what, in 2025 when the contract is out. That's going to be a very interesting time in uh, the beer world when that hits. Will door drop, will home delivery persist post-COVID? Um, it it kind of, you know, it's funny when COVID hit, I had to call all our guys because, you know, our sales reps can't go on the road. You know, um, tap room is closed. So we have a meeting. So guys, I'm going to overpay to do this, but I want to keep you guys. I love you guys. i got a good team. Um, if you're prepared to do anything, and that includes packing boxes, going online, pulling orders, picking them, and, and delivering them, you got a job. If you don't, we need to have a conversation. Everybody said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were doing 200 door drops a day at the beginning of COVID. It was crazy. We had every, all the reps were coming in. They were getting 20, 30 orders a, a day and having to do deliveries. It's dropped quite a bit after the lockdown again in January went up. But I think door drop is going to be around for a, a, a while. I, I see it. Our e-commerce is definitely up. Like what we were doing in a month, we were doing in a day, you know, when COVID hit. It was like e-commerce was okay. It was mainly people yeah. who lived up north, Timbuktu. They were yeah. taking advantage of that. So I think door drops going to be uh, around for a while. Like it's funny. I've always been a firm believer, you know, of, I, I love that shopping experience. I, I love to go to small retailers and, and, and buy my, my clothes or my, I go to little independent hardware stores and stuff, but then COVID hits and you have no choice, but to do it online. And I hate to say it, it's pretty cool when you order something and it shows up at your door the next day or two days later. Right. Or the same so day. I'm probably gonna, I still like supporting and going in, yep. you know, having that experience in contact with other human beings, <laughs> but, um, I, I think it's going to change the world a lot. I think you're going to see, especially younger people, they don't have that same mentality and 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 thought. Like I love going out for dinner at a small independent, and especially if you know the staff and the owner, it's it's a great experience, right? And you go to a chain, and you, you sometimes you lose a little bit of that, right? And I think the same applies with that. So, I think depending on you know where you are in your life and age and stuff. Uh, I think door drop is definitely going to be there for a long time and, and continue to grow. So we're putting a lot of emphasis on that. We're upgrading. If you do something online, like I got an email from a, a friend slash customer the other day, we've advanced our, our e-commerce and we email you when we're coming, we email you the thank you, uh, the, and you know, we, we, we've made it kind of fun and they couldn't believe, you know, how cool it was when you order something online from us through door drop, right? We've, brought it up a, a notch so yeah i think it's going to be around to stay will it go back to you know where and when covid started probably not but will it go as far back as you know two years ago when way before covid no i i think it's definitely going to be stronger for a long time i got an idea for you okay so you do tailgate door drop and so you you have a driver and the driver's just a driver but then it, they drive around in a pickup truck and a crew cab and you put a couple other year staff in there. And then, so they drop it off, but then they have a beer with the person that they're dropping the beer off to with some music and stuff. And so then it's, yeah, you get a little kind of, you still get that experience going to Nickelbrook. You get to, maybe you get to meet a brewer. Maybe it's on the brewer's drive home or something. And so, yeah, anyway. Meet the brewer. Um, we actually found that our online setup. So we started doing a lot of virtual stuff. 
Yeah. And we, we did our first tasting. We, we did it on zoom and we booked, uh, I think it was 200 cause you have to book it in blocks. So we booked 200 for our first uh, online virtual beer tasting and we sold the 200 spots in, in, in record time. It, it was, it was crazy. We, we couldn't believe it. Um, so the next time we booked like 500, we ended up getting that high, but we, we, we sold quite a few, but the first time we did, we did the tasting, took an hour and a bit and we had people online for hour. I think we started the tasting at, at seven it, people, it was over by, you know, eight 30 and we had, we had people online till 10, 11 o'clock. And you should have seen all the comments. Hey man, six beers later, I'm still online. <laughs> the second time we did it, we actually booked a band. Yeah. <laughs> so, I hate to say this, but, you know, and I, you know, I hate to say this too, like it's made us more homebodies. And I guess it's because of my age too. I, I enjoy grabbing some takeout, grabbing some good beer and, and just hanging in, or even like we, we play Euchre Thursday nights with a bunch of friends. Uh, um, we, we, we've had parties, you know, Zoom parties uh, on Saturday nights and you're in the luxury of your home and, you know, you don't have to worry about drinking and driving. So I think it's going to change and we're getting requests now from corporations like even now like we're booking virtual tastings with companies all summer long my son and this is so cool COVID had to hit my son's an accounting firm and um, they booked a cooking lesson with a chef and guess where the chef was out of Italy so they shipped all the food to their people's homes they had the time and date booked Everybody went on the Zoom meeting and there's this chef from Italy live and you got 20, 30 people cooking along with this chef. So it's going to change, I think, a lot of stuff. And, and what's even wrong with, you know, you have four, five, six friends together and you join, you know, a beer tasting where, you know, for me to get 200 people in my tap room, it'd be kind of a, you know, first of all, I'm not licensed for that, but it'd be very difficult to, to manage, but you could do a, a small tasting at your tap room and open up virtually. And all of a sudden now people from way up North, uh, other parts of the province, they could be enjoying, you know, your tasting that is at your tap room and get a, a bit more of an experience. Right. So I think it's going to change the way people do things and marketing. And I know we're going to look at different stuff like this. Like you just gave me an, I just got an, an idea, like what's wrong with, taping at, even if we're doing a live tasting what's wrong with doing a live tasting but still offer it virtually right so hey you have been more than generous with your time and i got one more question um, but we could keep going i mean i don't know or we i could talk i told you i could talk i got lots of stories i got we should have a storytelling day i got some my staff get a kick out of me they mention something and i tell them a story and they just like they always laugh and and, and listen to me like it's, so how about before my last question, give, give us a good, give us a good industry story to spin a yarn for us. What's a good oh, one. I got, You're on I the got, spot now. Okay. So I'll tell you one that goes way, I got one that goes way, way back. So we, uh, you know, first, you know, I'm running around with my brother and I, I, at the beginning of Nickelbrook, I looked after from Burlington to Windsor. Pete looked after from Burlington to Ottawa. And if I told you in the same day, we were making beer in the morning, we were driving back at midnight from Ottawa or Windsor. I wasn't lying to you. And, you know, popping a liquor store, we're, you know, we're delivering till nine o'clock at night and stuff. And you walk in the liquor store, you know, between four and seven on Thursday, Fridays, uh, Saturday afternoons, Sunday afternoons, they do these tastings, right? So 
walk into a, a, a store and you see this, you know, girl doing a tasting generally. And so you get this idea, you call the board because usually it was wineries, distilleries. You didn't see a lot of breweries, especially craft breweries doing tastings. So I, I, I start booking tastings and they're, um, you know, you hire them to do tastings. One of them calls me on a Sunday. You're booked at, I think, 12 to 4 on Sunday. She calls me at 11 o'clock. I don't feel good and my car's not running right. My grandmother's sick and I want to go see her. Can I, you know, can I, you know, feel out of my shift? I'm like, oh, my God. So I start calling some other staff. I can't find anybody. So I'm, I, 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 clock's ticking, right? I drive down the brewery. I drive down. I get some bits and bites. I think at the time we had our ale and... Um, uh, our green apple pilsner live in the LCBO. I grab a couple of coolers, ice, six pack, a couple of six packs and some bits and bites whipped down there. I start doing the tasting. Don't even really know what I'm doing. And I'm pretty out there kind of guy and we're bunches and, you know, I'm talking to people and, you know, a little boy walks by me and I say, hey, buddy, how are you doing? Want some bits and bites? Uh, what's your name? Nicholas. Nicholas, this beer's named after you. Where's your dad? Your dad's got to buy some of this beer. I sold all the beer in the store. I think they had like 32 or 34 six packs. The manager calls me the next day and says, John, oh, my God, my staff loved you here. It was so great to have you. But you can come by anytime. Uh, you know, thanks for coming. Usually we don't get, uh, you know, uh, owner of a company doing this stuff. Because, you know what, I'm on to some here. I'm, I'm going to do another one. So at the time, Guelph probably had one of the best craft beer liquor stores in the province. Store 495 uh, on Speed there, Avenue there, right by the university. So I booked 495. They had about 40 units in the store. I brought another 10 cases, so another 40 units in the back of my truck. I said, okay, I sold out on Sunday. This is a better store, and I'm probably going to do well. Hour and a half, I sold the 40 units. I walked in the manager's office, and uh, I said, hey, um, you know, I've sold all the beer. Do, do you mind if uh, you know, I, I bring in the, uh, you know, some more beer? He said, you got more beer? Yeah, so I bring in the other 40. Another hour and a half, I sell the other 40 units, so 80 six packs of beer in three and a bit hours. The, only, the manager, his name was uh, Paul at the time. I walked in his office. Hey man, I'm going home. What do you mean you're going home? It's only 7.30, you're here till eight o'clock. Well, I'm done, I sold all the beer. He's like, what? Was you sold all the beer in the store? He goes, yeah. I go, yeah, I sold all the beer in the store. He goes, holy shit, man. He goes like, who are you? And I go, what do you mean who are you? You got my card right there. Because yeah, it just says John on it. Who are you to the company? I said, oh, I'm one of the co-founders. He's like, you're the co-founder? Oh my God, you're welcome in the store anytime. So I'm driving back from, you know, uh, Guelph. I'd popped into Wilbur Jarms and Baker Street and, and Fat Duck and stuff. And then I was calling my brother. I said, Pete, get your ass home, get your smart serve, but, you know, get an, you know, get, get some sexy clothes. You and I are on the road. And my brother and I did LCBO tastings every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for years. We would bring other staff. So we'd go to London. I'd drop people off at stores and I would go do one. But we, we fueled the, the brewery by doing in-store tastings, by doing our own sales at the beginning. We were our two best sales reps for years and years, right? And I've got tons of stories. I've had beer thrown back at me in LCBO tastings. Oh, I was in, I was in Caledonia one time, and this gentleman didn't want to taste the beer, and he kind of hit my hand, and beer went over everywhere. It was, it was, it was, it was pretty funny. So I, I got... Uh, from doing tastings, lugging kegs, uh, doing demos in bars and restaurants, because uh, that's how we built the brand. We we didn't have the money to pay people to do this, so we were doing our own tastings, our own sales, and and making it all, all in the same day. So it's been it's been a ride, and that didn't happen for 
you know, a couple of months or a couple of years. We did that for years, years and years and years. My brother's still on the road. He loves doing it. If you call him right now, I bet you he's offloading beer from the back of his truck to an LCBO making a sales call. Yeah. The record label didn't get behind you. You went on tour. Off right out to the. Um, So hey, um, last question: Where's the industry in five years? Oh, that's um, speculate, speculate. I'm uh, I'm I'm a little bit concerned about uh, you know distribution. As as complicated as TBS and the LCBO is, you know, it it is a, a it is a good channel to work with. I'm a little bit concerned if it if it privatizes. Um, now you're dealing with a lot of independents. Like, hey, I I I have no problem with beer and convenience store and grocery store and stuff, but you know, we have a system in place right now. You know, it's not great, but uh, it it works to one degree. There's control. Um, there's there's you know, I I think if it opens up a lot more, it, it can get difficult. You know, people say, oh, don't you want more points of distribution? Well, it's, it's hard to say. What does that look like? If I have 8,000 more points of distribution, how's a little guy like me manage that? How do I, how does that work? So I'm a little bit concerned. Um, there's a lot to think about. And, um, you know, bars and restaurants will always be bars and restaurants. But how the retail world looks in five years could change. And that's a, you know, a little scary to a little guy like me, right? Um, I, I can control and manage what's happening now. If that doubles and triples and quadruples in five years because we eliminate some, some process that we have now, um, it could really change the way you know, business is done for a, a guy like me, right? So that's, that's the big question. And you look at other provinces, but they don't have what we have, right? So they've had to go a different route uh, or they went a different route a long time. We've had this system in place for a very long time. It's not, it's not I don't think it's great that the big guys own, you know, one, one of the points of distribution. I think that's un, unfair and that probably should never have happened, but that's a, that's a, a story that's uh, in itself and, and could take a long time to go over. But I'm a little bit concerned uh, of how distribution's going to go. I think the growth you're going to see it's slowing down because people are are starting. Like I, I get a phone call. I've had a couple of phone calls in the past, you know, couple of months. Places that you know they're not for sale, but they're for sale. They, you know, they're you know they're they're available and they're not. Do you know anybody that might want to buy in or another partner or investor? So there's a lot of people struggling, and then you create this more difficult. Uh, distribution system, it's going to put a lot of pressure. The big guys are fine. They're used to it, right? But uh, guys uh, guys like us, it uh, it gets costly and very difficult to be able to, to ship products to thousands and thousands of, of points of distribution, right? So that's my one of my biggest concerns. What's our, you know, what's our, you know, retail um, look like for, you know, beverage alcohol or, or beer uh, five years from now, because it, it's going to change between now and 2025. It's going to change. Nick, thoughts? Anything to add? Any? Actually, kind of. Um, so, just full disclosure, John, I'm I'm a beer novice. 
So I have a very select taste of what I enjoy. However, listening to everything you've just said, it is incredible, at least to me, how similar your challenges are to every other manufacturer in Ontario. And I'm going to go back to a few points you said. If you're looking to compete with the bigger brewers, like the loggers and the the advice that you were given was what? Specialize, right? Which is, Brendan, if I'm not mistaken, that's exactly what they've been telling automotive manufacturers, what they've been telling every other manufacturer. So in this regard, John, you basically kind of came, you, ba- you brought this full circle for me. And, and again, I am, I'm a beer novice, but I think, uh, like Brendan was saying, I came from automotive. And a lot of the stuff you're talking about is just like, it's, it's the same song. It's the same rock song played by a different band. Yep. It's, it's, and, and when you get into the automotive, you've got your challenges of, uh, of um, you know, s- skilled staff, like, you yep. know, there's a problem supply. Like we're looking at right now, there's material problems. There, there's so many things happening in the manufacturing world, right? Supply chain, the way you were affected by boxes, right? Like yep. who could have seen that? I had to change box suppliers in December for, well, in, in the fall for our December Christmas beers, like Old Kentucky, uh, Glory and Gold Cafe. They had to go in a different, we had to go to a different supplier because they didn't have the board on the floor. Yeah, that's, that is, it's, it's basically running right parallel with, well, I mean, we're, Brendan, we're, we're in chats with, of course, Reshoring Canada. And of course, a lot of the stuff they're talking about has to do with supply chain security. And with the semiconductors or with the whole Texas thing. Oh, crazy. What they couldn't get semiconductors yeah. and stuff. And, but from, from as complicated as semiconductors to the whole Texas, when that went down, the foam sealant that seals foam within, autumn, within the seats for cars, just like, yeah, there's no sealant for a month. Like, okay, can we, can we retrofit that? No. Shut down for a month. Oh. Yeah, Bummer. people are they're saying they're taking chips out of vehicles. Like cars aren't selling as much as pickup trucks. They're taking chips out of pick out of cars. They're sitting in a field now because they won't operate. And they're taking that chip and putting them in a pickup truck because they can sell the pickup truck tomorrow. And look what happened. Look at GM. Like, thank God they kept that plant going. Like I, I'm a GM fan and hate to say it. I was contemplating not being one, continue to be one because of what they did to Oshawa. And all of a sudden, thank God they kept that plant up to date and maintained. And all of a sudden, they're they're rejuvenating and going to fire it back up. But here they they shut down a plant. It's a beautiful plant. And oh, we don't need a pickup. We don't need any more GM plants in Canada. They can't make enough pickup trucks. All of a sudden, it's like, well, maybe the plant Canada and by Oshawa there can make some pickup trucks for us, you know. And all of a sudden, they fire it back up. Like it's crazy. I drive by that plant and I just like. How does a company decide to sh- that that building's got to be worth billions of dollars? Yeah, you know, and it's just it's great. I'm shutting down my Burlington facility. I'm trying to say, hey, I really need that, and, and I'm talking minor dollars. I'm gonna you know buy some bigger, better stuff, but like I, I don't want to scrap some little stuff I've had forever. And and, and meanwhile, you, here's a plant making vehicles, and they just shut her down, turn it off. Maybe they've got a stash of cardboard sitting there somewhere that you can <laughs> tap into. So, um, Hey, so John, always a Thank pleasure. You. Thanks so much. Thanks for thinking of us. Hopefully we'll see you at our new tap room in Etobicoke. You'll yes. see me in Burlington. You'll see me in Burlington and I'll ask for you. you in and, Burlington yeah, will be open yeah. uh, on the 14th, if not sooner. Everybody, the 
buzz is out there. I'm hoping it's the, you know, next Friday, Saturday, but uh, our patios locked and loaded. I, I got to go pick up picnic tables. Like it's crazy little things like picnic tables. I've had to go online, make phone calls because in Etobicoke, we're going to have a patio there and little things like last year, you need some picnic tables. You went and got some picnic tables. Now you want to go to some picnic tables. They're sold out everywhere. Like, like, you know, it's crazy what's going I, on. I got an old one in my cottage, but it's kind of rickety. But if you want it, no, I got it. I got the email this morning. They've in because I was worried I wasn't going to get them. Because just to say you put an order in and it got accepted doesn't mean you're going to get them, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, just waiting for that email back. Thanks for your order, but sorry, this product is now back ordered, right? Because they oversold. I got to run. My thing's been going bonkers. Take care, guys. Thanks for having me. All the best. Cheers. Thanks, John. Great weekend, John. Happy craft beer week. Thank you. You as well.